Welcome to something a little bit different. Yes, you're on the Circus Boss podcast, but we have been listening to our fans and one in particular has had some great feedback and great advice and it all centers around wanting more Circus Boss podcast. And I'm finding it harder and harder to get all of the the podcasts produced the way that I like to with all the editing and the music and all of that. It takes quite a bit of time and I honestly enjoy doing it personally because it helps me um, be more connected to the final product, but then it also helps me develop some of my other social media content and email content and course concept content. So I'm all about repurposing content. So it kind of helps me and I have great software that helps me do it really easily. So anyways, um, as you've noticed, I haven't had a podcast out in a little while. I do have one coming up really soon that's awesome with Alex Stoddard talking all about how to support gender expansive performers in the event industry. It's something that I haven't really heard many people talk about. So yes, within circus, but then the subset of circus at events. So that's in the process of being edited and should be out soon. But today I wanted to share with you an IG Live. So back to actually, before I dive in that, back to the feedback that we got from one of our fans was, I'm going to start to offer some other content on the podcast channel besides our standard, like, here's a podcast episode. So I'm going to be doing, anytime I do an IG live, I'm going to drop that over here on the podcast too, just in case you missed it. It feels harder to watch it on IG if you're watching a replay. Maybe it's easier to catch it here on the podcast. And then also occasionally Brock or I might pop on here and do something. We're still trying to figure out the name, but maybe Circus Boss Unscripted or mini pod. I'm not sure where it'll just be snort, short snippets and <laughs> not snort. <laughs> Here's an example of what happens when I don't edit and I just send it out raw. So all of these little snippets are going to be that. They are going to be raw and unedited so I can get more content to you with less effort on our part. So we'll have the IG lives, which means while you're listening, you'll hear me talk to whoever is watching live because I'm trying to get better at doing that. So I'm saying hello to people and answering their questions and then the Circus Boss mini pod or unscripted. I'm not sure. You can let us know if you have ideas for names, but those will be like these times when Brock and I just like have these ideas that we want to share. Whether it's like I've just hopped off of a coaching call or we just done a workshop or maybe we've just like watched a movie or gone to see a circus show or whatever the situation, we, we just get these ideas and we're like, oh my gosh, we need to share that. Or these stories come to mind. Like, oh my God, remember that story when such and such happened? We need to share that. So occasionally, unannounced, unplanned, you may get little Easter eggs of additional episodes, but they're not really episodes, so we're not going to number them. So today, what I'm sharing is an IG Live, and this was all about, should you have different rates for different situations? 
like, do you need to have different rates for different people? And I just kind of shared some considerations to think about on that. So that's what I have for you today. And then at other times, you may just get a little secret message <laughs> from Brock or I, um, part of our like unscripted series. So yeah, those are two other ways that we're going to be dropping content onto the podcast. We also are working on new podcast cover art right now that's going to be coming out and a little new new intro because a lot has evolved since we've started the podcast and so we want to evolve with that and keep keep moving and growing and cultivating this business and forming it into more of what it wants to be and part of that is you so those of you that do hop over into the dms on instagram or follow us and comment on posts those of you that are in our facebook group thank you for making this a two-way conversation because that's what it's all about. We're here to be in conversation with you, to bring you content that you're excited about, that you want, that you need. So feel free to drop us ideas for podcast topics as well. I've got a whiteboard of ideas going and trying to just like make them all happen, but I'm always open to new ideas. So without further ado, I'm going to share the IG live on do you need different rates for different situations? Do you need different rates for different situations? This is a common question that we get when people are first starting the Circus Freelancer Gig Pay Guide. So I wanted to talk about that today. Hey, Katie. Hey, Brock. So what, what I'm talking about today is should you charge different rates for the different types of work you do, maybe for the different people that hire you. Hey, dances in the air. Hey, shared culture concepts. Thanks for joining live for this one. If we haven't met, I'm Eile. My pronouns are she, her, and I am a business coach for circus entrepreneurs and also the chief inspiration officer here at Circus Boss. Hi, <laughs> thanks for being here live. If you are here live, feel free to drop questions in the chat as we roll. And if you're watching on the replay, thank you for tuning in. Feel free to drop questions in the comments and I'll try to get to them after the replay is posted. Um, so I'm not advocating for negotiating your rates. And I just want to start that to like frame this because what happens is people ask the question, if I'm providing the same acts, if I'm performing the same thing I always do, should I change the rate based on who's hiring me or where I'm performing or should I change the rate based on somebody's budget? So I just want to say like I don't advocate for negotiating your rates just because somebody has a different budget. Um, we actually have a whole podcast episode about that on the Circus Boss podcast so be sure to check that out uh, if you haven't already because on that episode we actually share other strategies of what you can do to negotiate besides your lower your price. But what I am talking about today is creating a framework, creating a system, creating different price points, and just an understanding of how your price can change based on who's hiring you and the places where you are doing the work. Because there's some differences there, and that's what I'm going to talk about today. Hey, Zubu Hoopism, I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce your name, but uh, thanks for joining us live. We're talking about should you change your rates based on the different places where you're working. So I'm also going to say I'm talking about gig work. I'm not talking about contract work because contract work, 
is completely separate than gig work because contract work, you're going to be repeating the same acts. You have a guaranteed certain amount of work for a specific time. Yay, I said your name right. Awesome. Um, but gig work, what I'm talking about is that one-off work, you know, event industry work or festivals or things that just happen once, maybe twice. But that's kind of the realm that I'm talking about today. Even within that realm, there might be reasons to have different rates. So I also, uh, before I dive into sharing my thoughts, I want to give a shout out to Cynthia from Ministry of Ariel and Nina from Dahlia's Entertainment because they shared some of their thoughts and their perspective on this question in our Circus Boss Facebook group. We have a community over um, at a Facebook group. So they shared some of their thoughts. Um, if you aren't a member of our Circus Boss Facebook group, uh, feel free to join us over there. We do have a link in our bio, but it's also circusboss.com community. So anyways, let's talk about two different areas where you might want to have different rates. So one is looking at who is hiring you? So there's some different tiers here that I'm just going to kind of go. These are tiers as I divide them. You may have a different reality. So maybe you need to create your own tiers. But I'm going to start with what would it be the most expensive price, the highest price, to what would be the lowest price. So first you have a client, like a direct client. And this is somebody that maybe calls you, hey, I'm having a wedding. Can you come perform at my wedding? Or maybe somehow somebody sees you perform um, at another event and then they call you directly. Hey, we're doing a, a holiday party for our company. Can you perform for us? So this is a client hiring you directly. That's going to be the highest price of your, your price tiers, right? Then you have an event planner. Now, we kind of did the same price for most of our event planners and clients because it ended up being about the same amount of work. But sometimes an event planner may, be, may do some of the legwork for you. They're definitely handling the marketing and you might have a long-term relationship with them. They bring you more work. So that would be worth giving them a discounted rate. Then you have an event entertainment company. So this is like what Animate Objects Productions used to be, where they are coordinating a lot of the entertainment. They might even provide costumes. Every entertainment company is different. But getting to know that when you're starting to work with somebody, time is money, right? So if they're providing some of the legwork of coordinating with the client, if they're doing site visits and meetings, if they're creating the entertainment, um, then that's less work for you. So that's why that's one step down on the pricing tier. Hey, Mariah, thanks for joining us. Um, you all can drop questions in the chat whenever you want. Right now I'm talking about thinking about who is hiring you. So we've got direct client, we've got event planners, then we have event entertainment companies. Hey, Dream Upright, good to see you. Thanks for joining. And then my last category is a show or a festival producer. So this is somebody that's like self-producing something. So their budget is gonna be coming from a different place. Um, Oh, hey, you're amazing too. I love all your posts, Dream Up, right? So fantastical. Um, so those are my four pricing tiers in terms of thinking about who is hiring me. And again, you need to look at your market, your industry, the kind of people that hire you. You might have less tiers or more tiers. In a minute, I'm going to talk about some strategies of how to handle those different pricing tiers. But another area to think about is the types of work. 
Oh, you know, I actually want to back up for a minute because the reason that those tiers should be different, the direct client, the event planner, the entertainment company, and a show or festival producer is it goes back to this amount of work that you have to do, I mentioned. So if you can start to track your time, then you'll really know how much time you spend. But you can kind of assume with a direct client, you're going to have to do things like a lot of phone calls and emails. Um, Self-producer, great. Zubu had a question I'll get to in a second of how does a self-producer differ from an event entertainment company? So that's a good one. And insurance. Okay, cool. Curious about insurance. Cool. I'll get to that in a second. So with these different tiers, there's a lot of different things that are provided. So direct client, you're going to be doing a lot more emails, a lot more phone calls. You might have to do site visits. You might have to um, show them rehearsal videos with an, an, with an event planner too. You might have to show them rehearsal videos. You might have to show them your costume in process. So there's going to be a lot more demands on your time before the actual event. So even if you're performing the same thing, you I really encourage people to think about the amount of time that goes into um, the event, not just the time on stage in terms of the value of what your, your pricing should consider. So when Zubu asked, how does a self-producer differ from an entertainment company? So a self-producer in this context, and again, you might have your own tiers for your business, but when I'm saying that a show or a festival producer, I'm meaning somebody that is self-producing, meaning self-funding. So they might be doing grant writing, they might be doing ticket sales, um, versus an entertainment company is in my, my tiering system is somebody that is getting hired by a client. So the money is coming from somewhere else. So we're going to talk about some examples in a moment in terms of what I call the market, where this distinction might make a little bit more sense. But the reason those two are different is because a show or festival producer, um, the expectations are going to be different. But I think this one the distinction might make more sense when I get to the next category on market. So I'm going to flag that actually and try to answer that with the next section. And then Dream Upright said, curious about insurance. So in all four of these categories, you're going to need insurance. So I actually think the like specialty insurance agency, what's called performers liability insurance, that should be factored into your pricing for everybody. Because even as an entertainment company, the performers that we hired, if they did aerial, stilts, fire, anything that was high risk, even acrobatics, um, we required them to have performers liability insurance. So that's my first thought. Um, Dream up, right? If you have any follow-up thoughts on the insurance question, um, feel free to let me know more thoughts on that. So that's just like a basic high-level overview of thinking about the people that are hiring you, but also looking at your market. So what I call the market is the, the, the arena where you're doing this performing or where you're getting hired to perform. So if we go the, you know, events, so you have like corporate events, you can have like mid-scale or upscale or even luxury events or weddings. That's all going to be, I'm reading a question while I'm talking. So I see that. That's a great, what, what about a performer who is not high risk? I'll flag that and come back to that in a second. So you have the, the whole corporate event realm. 
right? That's going to be at that, that highest tier. Then you have fairs and festivals. And the fairs and festivals realm is pretty broad. It can be anything like county fairs and, you know, um, country fairs. And then festivals can be like an arts festival or it can be like a music festival like EDM or, you know, there's all of those. I think we all know those are lower budget. But with the lower budget also comes lower expectations. You're probably not having to go to site visits and do a bunch of emails and client meetings for the fairs and festivals. Um, and then, Zubu, this is where I'm going to tie in to the difference between entertainment company and what I call like a show producer. Again, this is all semantics. Semantics. Everybody has their own names for things. But this bottom tier, or I shouldn't say bottom, but last tier is community and performing arts or cabaret shows. So these are going to be shows where people are charging tickets or like I mentioned, doing grant writing. Basically, there's not a client paying for it. Because when there's a client paying for it, there's more money and there's higher stakes. Um, the community festivals tend to be more casual, lower pressure. You can use those as a place to try out a new act. Um, and you're probably not going to have to go to a ton of meetings. If you are, maybe. I'm not sure. But just knowing the reality of sometimes when people say, I don't have the budget, is it because they're self-producing and grant writing and selling tickets and it's just a community event? Or is it because the corporate client or the wedding client just doesn't want to allocate that amount of money to the entertainment? So there's there's a couple of reasons people might not have different budgets. Um, I'm going to try to say this name, Costero. Hi, Costero. Um, so those are just some considerations to think about in terms of the market you're working in. Are you doing like corporate events and high-end weddings or are you doing fairs and festivals or are you doing more community events, performing art shows and theaters and tours or more cabaret shows? So those are just three tiers that I came up with from my working knowledge of what we used to do with animate objects. Again, try to look for these in your own market. I'm sure there are tons of different types of events and gigs that I didn't even mention here, like RenFest, that would, for me, fall more into the community realm. Hey, Chelsea, thanks for being here. So I'm going to follow up with uh, Dream Upright's question. And you asked, what about a performer who is not high risk? So, hey, Circus Mavakanza, did I get it right? And Disbribri, I'm loving all these names. Um, please correct me in the chat if I'm getting them all wrong. So Dream Upright, you know, you were mentioning, so that was kind of a follow-up to my to my point where you were asking about insurance and should that factor into pricing. My opinion is all performers need performer liability insurance. So we required, I mentioned that we required anyone with high risk like aerial stilts, fire, acrobats, things like that to have performers liability insurance. Now, if you are booking directly with a client, then hands down, even if you're low risk, I would have insurance. I think we honestly even had our jugglers have insurance. So when I say high risk, what I mean is, is there risk to damage something to the property? Is there risk to injure a guest? Because performer's liability insurance is about protecting the people and the things, the people and places and the things at the event, not the performer. So if you're dealing directly with a client, then I would get performer's liability insurance. If you're dealing with an event planner, it's kind of a gray area. They may ask for it anyways. 
entertainment companies are all going to have their own policy. So I would ask them. And then same with the show or festival producer. So I would ask them. So I hope that helps with that. Let me know if you have another follow up on that. But in general, I just think it's good. The specialty insurance is not expensive. And I would just consider that an overhead expense. Yeah, low risk as in juggler and magician. Thank you. That helps. Cool. Yeah, I just think that insurance is an operating expense and I kind of build it into the price of um, you rock too. <laughs> I kind of just build that into the price of being a performer, just like you need some of us need your tights and your fishnets and your eyelashes and your makeup and your costumes. You need your insurance. So I've told you all these different pricing tiers, but then I've also told you in the beginning that I don't advocate for changing your price. I'm not talking about anytime anyone calls you, you give them a different price. Like I believe in transparency. I believe in actually having set prices. And again, I mentioned at the beginning, but we do have a whole podcast episode on negotiating your rates. You can check that out of strategies of what you can do instead of adjusting your rates. But so what can you do? Well, first of all, in some of these categories, like the show or festival producer or the performing arts or cabaret shows, they may have a set budget, they may have set rates. So then you just have to look at, well, does this at least pay me enough that I can miss other work opportunities because it's fulfilling me? Like the the those are realms where money is not probably the deciding factor, right? Because those are lower budget things. And then you just have to decide what works for you. But then when we get into the realm of where somebody else is paying, like those client, those corporate events, those weddings, um, even some of the fairs and festivals, um, you, sorry, I'm going to back up for a second. So what I do recommend is, so figuring out your pricing as if you're dealing with a direct client, as if you're doing everything. Now, tracking your time is something that probably not a lot of people do. We are in the middle of redoing our Circus Freelancer Gig Pay Guide. And in that, we have a lesson that helps you like consider how many hours a week go into training, rehearsing, finding your costumes, marketing, client negotiation, like all of these things that you do should be part of what's called your non-billable hours. So you're not billing it directly to the client, but it is a part of your business. So it has to be factored in somewhere. So we have some fun calculators in there that help you figure out on average how many hours go into each time you perform. So that's kind of a little teaser. You can check out the gig pay guy now, but we're redoing it and revamping it. So just keep an eye on the Circus Boss page. We'll announce when that's out again, or just track your own time right? Try to get a sense of how much time goes into something. So setting your rate as if you're doing everything, that's a whole other conversation. We're going to be talking about rates all month here, but that's where I would start. And once you have that number, then you can work backwards and say, okay, well, this amount of costumes, equipment, um, rehearsal, studio, rental, like what are all the things that working for somebody else they take care of? then you can discount that off of your price, okay? Now, if you are, say, working directly with a client in different markets, let's say you do the upscale weddings and and high-end corporate events, and then you also do the more community festivals or arts festivals with a client. So maybe you only offer specific things. If you know that your aerial takes a lot of coordination beforehand and 
figuring out the rigging point and getting a rigger there and inspections, maybe you don't offer your aerial for the lower budget events. That's totally fine. Um, so maybe you have like, these are my signature items. Like maybe you have specific costumes. Maybe you have an act that takes a lot of time to train to be able to do it and even to like keep at that level. So maybe you save that or I don't know. I'm thinking of Nina and she has like her butterfly duo on the lollipop lira. It's kind of like a signature act. So maybe you reserve those signature acts for just the higher budget events. That's totally fine. You don't have to offer all the same things to all of these different types of markets. Hey, Belinda. Hey, Archibion. I hope I'm getting that right. Arc Archibion. Um, so, oh, and, and Palmcron. I'm loving these names today. I hope I'm not destroying them. Uh, feel free to ask questions as we're going. I'm, I'm dropping a lot of information here. Um, I'll post the replay afterwards so you can always come back and watch it. But another strategy that you can do is like maybe, so that's, I mentioned like your signature items or things that are more complex you only offer for the higher budget events. You can also do the other side of things and say, what are, what are the things that are like super easy for me to do? I know I can, I don't have to rehearse them. I know them in and out, maybe some roving characters and create like a festival package or a wedding package or, you know, a package for a specific type of event that when someone comes, oh, this is that type of event. Well, I can offer that to them. So you're not changing your rates based on who's calling you. You're predetermining, oh, this is on average the amount of time that goes into something. And so these, this is my packages for these different types of events. Um, and I think those are my main thoughts of just like kind of go through and think about who's hiring you and maybe make some tiers and then go through what are the different markets that you work in and make those tiers. And there's some overlap. You know, you may, like I mentioned, you may work for a client in an upscale thing and a more low budget thing, but you don't have to offer all the things at all the levels and just change your prices. You can say, this is what I offer for this type of event. This is what I offer for this type of event and no customization for those lower budget community events like um, and even like lower scale corporate events, something that does have a lower budget, you can always say, I only do custom things for anything over this price. So you can kind of set these things ahead of time. So I just wanted to share all this information today for you to just think about these things and start to map that out for yourself so that when somebody does come in, you can kind of see, well, where are they in this realm so that you can start to say, oh, I'm going to offer them this. So what Zubu says, what about rate cards, kind of like AKA price sheet? When should they be used? Do they encourage or deter clients? This is a great question. So I do like having a price sheet. If you are working with event planners, because they like to, similarly to how like Cirque du Soleil has a roster that you get on as a performer and like other entertainment companies might have a roster. A lot of event planners, like larger event planning companies, want to have a bunch of vendors kind of in their Rolodex, so to speak, if anyone knows what a Rolodex is anymore. Um, <laughs> but they want to have information at the ready because they pitch events on a high volume basis. So I do recommend like a price sheet or a rate card for event planners so that they can have your information ready to go as needed. Now for direct to client, 
that can be a little bit overwhelming sometimes. So maybe you start out with these are three different like levels, like maybe it's ground, maybe it's um, like ground roving character, ground stage act, aerial act. I don't know, but maybe dividing it into three areas and giving them like a price range as a starting point versus like a list of 15 things, if that makes sense. So I would do maybe a simplified version for clients. Um, I would do a, definitely have a price sheet for event planners. Now, not to complicate things, but another thing that is good for event planners is to make a duplicate of the price sheet without prices because sometimes they want to share that with their clients and add their own markup. Everybody, Every event planner has a different way that they handle pricing. So giving them some information without pricing on it is good. But I don't recommend telling giving what I'm telling you on a price sheet saying, oh, if you're a fair, this is your price. If you're a wedding, this is your price. I think that's more for you to determine within. So like I really recommend kind of narrowing it down to maybe just two of these areas. It's going to be easiest. And so let's say your main business, your main focus, for example, with us, with Animate Objects, our main focus was upscale corporate events. So our whole pricing structure was focused on that. So I could give somebody a price sheet. I could even, I didn't choose to at the time, but I could have even shared our prices on our website. I think we had something like event prices start at this amount just to kind of help qualify some people. But um, so don't tell the client, oh, it's going to be different based on who you are. And, and that's more of like an internal decision. So you figure out your main, the main work that you do. And that's like your pricing structure. And then when someone contacts you, try to figure out, like have an inquiry form that you can have on your website or even like a script that you have when you're talking to them on the phone and try to figure out these things. Is this a community event? Is this a fair festival? Or is this more of like a mid-scale, upscale event? Whatever your tiers are. And then you know what pricing to send them. Even if you have, if you do end up having your main pricing on your website, and somebody inquires, you can be like, oh, you know what, we actually have a festival package. That's probably gonna be better for you. Just like a heads up though, there isn't any customization. So if you see things on the website that's different, hey, American Circus Educators. So you're giving them this festival package and then you're like, hey, if, this, if you see something on the website that's not in there, um, we do charge differently for that once we get into the realm of custom. So the pricing will be different. So you're basically kind of showing, you know how like on a menu at a restaurant when they have the like com combo meals and it says no substitutions, that's basically what you're saying with these like more festival packages where you're like, this is what I offer at this rate. So does that kind of help Zubu of like when to use a rate card or a price sheet? And um, American Circus Educators, I'm actually kind of getting close to the end and wrapping up. There's a ton of information here, um, so feel free to go back and watch the replay. But while you're here, if you have any questions about rates, drop them in the chat. I'm talking about different rates for gig work based on the different types of people that hire you and also like your market, like the different places where you may perform. So... If anyone doesn't have any other questions, I think that I'm gonna start to wrap up. Um, I mentioned earlier, we are doing a relaunch, a remake, and then a relaunch of our Circus Freelancer Gig Pay Guide. That's why I'm talking all about pricing this month, all on our Instagram channel, in our Facebook group. So 
Think about any questions that you have about pricing. We love this topic because pricing is the foundation of your business. If you're not charging enough to support the business that's behind the performance or the gig, then you won't be here five gigs later or five years later. So I really want people to understand everything that goes into setting the right price. So you're going to hear a lot more on that this month from us. So Zubu says, yeah, I like the one about having a rate card without prices. Yeah, totally. That's always a good place. And some clients might want that too. It's like, I think it's just good to have them both at the ready and get a feel, you know, for what people are asking for. The one thing I would say is listen to what people ask for. If somebody is asking for pricing, send them the one with pricing. I think there's a lot of like psychology of sales things out there that say, oh, don't give them the pricing yet. Show them what you do. But if somebody is asking, listen to them and show them, hey, Deity Soup, show them that you hear them and you want to provide what they're asking for. So that's my tidbit. But um, so Deity Soup, I'm actually just wrapping up today, but I will post the replay in a little bit. Thank you everyone for being here. You can always come back and drop a question in the comments later and stay tuned to the Circus Boss channel all month because I'm going to have a ton of stuff on pricing, a ton of content to share, and then a relaunch of our Circus Freelancer Gig Pay Guide. So thanks for being here today, everyone. Bye.